Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast for Traditional Investing is Dead. We've been talking about that for the last three podcasts. Uh, our last podcast was Small Businesses Unmasked, uh, which I found very interesting. And now that our whole economy is starting to come back, boy, small businesses are struggling. We, we did discuss that. Uh, what we want to talk about today, it's, it's not your grandparents' stock market. That's what we want to talk about today. And today we have a great guest, David Sade, who is a, uh, so, uh, this is going to be a disclaimer. He's a friend of mine. We also work together. We started an angel fund together. And uh, David does uh, a lot of uh, work for me. He helps me out a lot uh, when it comes to the financial. Uh, David actually is a chartered CFA. And if you don't know what that is, that's a very, very impressive test. I think 14% pass uh, all three at once. And of course, our little genius David did. So David, thank you. Uh, thank you to, to, uh, to help us. Uh, Get this information across about alternative investing to our guests here. Absolutely. My pleasure for being here. Thank you. I'm always, always happy to volunteer my time. David, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, graduated undergrad uh, with a degree in finance, went into the investment industry for about four years. And after uh, you know, working my way to being a portfolio manager for about $750 million in uh, assets, kind of figured that wasn't the career for me. Uh, so made the jump over into technology and more specifically data um, and have been working in that around financial services ever since. So um, that that's business intelligence, that's uh, business analytics, all sorts of things. But basically uh, taking data and telling like a money story um, with it. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on, as you know, with Bitcoin and uh, with the stock market. And, and as you know, I love alternative investments, especially uh, fixed incomes, because it's fixed. No matter what happens to the stock market, it's fixed. I can guarantee that I'm going to be getting that money unless something changes, of course. We've been hearing a lot of things about memes. What is a meme stock? Can you give us an example? Yeah, so, so at a higher level, a meme is just an image with something snarky or funny about the image itself. It's all over the internet. They're just kind of jokes, right? Uh, a meme stock is a relatively new phenomenon. It started in uh, early 2021. Um, and kind of what happened was a bunch of millennials got together, mainly on a site uh, called Wall Street Insiders or, um, or Wall Street Bets. And they got just kind of mad at some hedge funds. Um, hedge funds were, for many years, have used a uh, technique called short selling. Effectively, they sell a stock and push the price down because if you sell, 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 prices go down. And then once the stock price drops, they buy it back and earn a profit that way. So, you know, normally you buy low and sell high. In this case, they sell high and then buy low. Um, and so usually this only happens with stocks that are weak um, for companies that are doing well, that kind of thing. So all of these millennials got together and they just got mad because hedge funds were attacking some of their favorite um, companies. You know, GameStop was the first one. And, you know, GameStop was sort of like the blockbuster um, for games. You take your old game and, you know, exchange it for a new one. Um, but it was also kind of a place to hang out. You got to, you know, trade in Mario Kart and get back Zelda, whatever you wanted, right? And so this was a place that was in millennials' hearts, but hedge funds were pounding this stock and others too, but they were pounding this stock, pushing it down, pushing it down. And so these millennials got together and they realized, you know, each one of us, we don't have a ton of money to invest on our own. You know, hedge funds are millions or billions of dollars. Um, 
But these individuals got together and said, we actually could have some power if we work together. And so without you know, lying, without saying you know, GameStop is, is a great stock and a good company, they just started buying the stock. And the stock price started going up. And all of a sudden, like, other people caught on. And uh, other individuals just said, like, wait, I'm seeing on CNBC that GameStop price is going up, but there's really no reason why. Wait, there's, there's just a bunch of people buying? I want to buy. I, I don't want to miss out on this. So more people started buying. And the price went up and more people started buying and the price went up. More people started buying the price. It went from I, I'm somewhere around $5, somewhere around $500. Like it was crazy how this worked. So what, what did that mean to the hedge funds that shorted the stock? That means they sold it at, I'll call it $5. Then they had to buy it back at 500. So that means like you're doing a horrific job of earning money when you sell at five and buy at 500. That's truly the opposite of what you want to do. Now, there's a lot of people on here that have heard about um, uh, GameStop stopping trading, right? So uh, everyone was going uh, through their brokers, whether it was Ameritrade, E-Trade, uh, Robinhood, what, whoever it was. And actually, what happens is they had to stop uh, trading because uh, you have to have so much money in an account when you're trading stocks. And that once you reach that limit, you can no longer trade. And I've seen that on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I actually saw it with the company that I was working for, that there was so much, many trades that they reached the protective limit and the actual clearinghouse closed them down. Now, uh, uh, Robinhood was their own clearinghouse, but they saw how exposed that all the hedge funds were that they just automatically shut it down which really hurt the retail investor, who is now their biggest traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. They're like 60% of the trades. And when I found that out, it was, it was very interesting to me because if you have retail people, people like me and you, people like me and David who are just, you know, people who like to trade. And we trade by the news. You know, something's happening. Oh, my God, I got to get in. I got to get in, right? We're institutionals like J.P. Morgan. And and uh, Goldman Sachs, they they change on they 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 trade on fundamentals, right? Like how's the balance sheet? How's the problem? And it's so hard to figure out how to trade on retail, and that's why I love uh, just alternative investments because fixed rate is fixed rate, right, David? No matter what. Yeah, if you uh, generally speaking, uh, if you have a fixed, if you buy a fixed income product, some debt, you know, bonds, whatever it might be, you're going to get a steady stream of, um, of money in coupons being sent your way. You know, you, it's not guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed. Um, you know, the companies could go out of business, whatever have you. Uh, but it, it, the, the majority of the time you can depend on that cash showing up in your bank account when it's promised. Are meme stocks gaining uh, momentum now because now they feel the muscles that uh, they beat up on the bad hedge fund guy. It, it, what, what do you think about that? Um, meme stocks have not gone away. So it started with GameStop, and then a few others have been involved. You know, the Clover Health is one, AMC, Nokia have been involved in, in, these, uh, in these meme stock sort of phenomenon where, you know, the, the, these companies' stock prices are very low, but they're companies that millennials generally uh, have an affinity for, like Nokia, the very first cell phone that we had access to, um, you know, back in the 90s. You know, they had the little case on the front. There was one type of phone you could get. It was, it was super, like, old school. Uh, but Nokia has fallen out of favor, and so, you know, as this price is very low, me, uh, retail investors come in and buy the price up, 
And now the whole street is clued into the fact that this price could go up a hundred times for no reason whatsoever, other than there's a, there's a, a lot of people out there that just think other people are going to buy it. So the, the, the value, the, sorry, the price level of these meme stocks is based on what's called the greater fool theory. It's a very real thing. You can Google it. Um, the greater fool theory is I believe someone dumber than me will buy this asset at a higher price than me. So I buy it at 100, but I know someone's dumb enough to buy it for 120. Even though there's no real reason it should be at 100 or 120, I think somebody else is going to come along and pay a higher price. Hey, David, talk to my audience about the risk with mean stocks and what, and what they should be doing. The, the risk in mean stocks is huge. Um, before mean stocks, you know, generally speaking, a company would trade around its uh, – it's actual value. And there's a lot of ways of calculating that. We're not going to go into it, but there's very professional people all over the world, you know, running models, doing uh, pro formas, all sorts of different types of analyses to figure out what do they think the price should be and then buying or selling accordingly. So this is a huge industry with many professional people with all sorts of letters after their names, MBA, PhD, CFA, CPA, all of them. Like they're analyzing all of this. Mean stocks are completely outside of that world. Because the people buying them openly acknowledge this stock isn't worth this much, but I like it. So I'm just going to buy it and more people are going to buy it and we're just going to drive the price up. There's very, there's virtually no way the company's actually worth this, but this is what we want to do because we have, it's our money. I, I have no fiduciary duty to someone else to make a smart decision. So I'm just going to do it. And so if you look at the price, uh, at the price chart of any of these meme stocks, it is wild you know, it could go up by 50% one day and down 25% the next day. So the, the analogy that I always use, or that I heard used and that I used in the investment industry is you're trying to catch a falling sword where you could catch it on the, on the handle and man, you're a hero. I can't believe you just caught a falling sword. The problem is there's also a blade much longer than the handle. And if you grab that blade, it's going to hurt. You know, David, uh, the, the, the podcast floor that we're talking about right now, it's, a, it's not your grandparents' stock market. We have to talk about cryptocurrencies. Why don't you just explain to our audience what a cryptocurrency is, if you can compare it to the dollar a little bit, and where you think it's going to be in the next 5, 10 years. Um, cryptocurrency, very broadly speaking, is just a way of transferring value um, over the Internet. That, that's really all it is. There's a ton of different um, what are called coins within this ecosystem. There's over 10,000, I think it is. But the one that most people have heard of is called Bitcoin, which is essentially a way of buying this coin, this virtual coin, holding on to it and then selling it later. Um, that's how it started back in 2009. Um, since then, it has become amazingly popular because of how uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin specifically, but there's you know Ethereum and there's all sorts of them. Um, but how the price has gone up from you know I'll call it pennies uh, back in you know 09 and, and 2010 uh, up into the mid twenty to fifty thousand dollar range. Yes. So there are literally people who become billionaires because they bought Bitcoin back in 2010, might have forgotten about it, and then you know sold it at fifty thousand dollars, making a, a truly <laughs> disgusting return. Um, so good for them. But it has, uh, in my opinion, uh, the actual value of cryptocurrency is very hard to identify. And the reason is that most cryptocurrencies don't actually have a use in the market. 
you know, you, you'll read that they do and adoption is going up. What that means is that if I buy a Bitcoin, I can't really use it to buy groceries. I can't use it to buy a car. I can't use it to buy a house. Except for limited circumstances, yes. Tesla is waffling uh, on that. It's, and you can actually see the price of Bitcoin going up and down depending on what Tesla says or what Elon Musk says or what Bill Gates said. Like the, the price is dependent upon how many people are going to buy because they think one day it will be useful. Um, and so we talked about Bitcoin a lot. Let's add, there's a lot of other types. So one of them uh, that, that I like to talk about is called Ripple. Uh, that, that's the name of the company. It's XRP is the uh, name of the coin. The purpose of Ripple is to replace a very antiquated system for sending money across borders. So w- before Ripple, there were really two ways to get it there. One is you initiate a bank transfer that wasn't very expensive uh, and it could take weeks, literally, to, depending on you know the country and the, and the value. The other is to send it by um, uh, Western Union, which would cost you an arm and a leg, but it'd get there like today. So those were the only options. You either pay a lot and get it there fast or pay a little and it could take weeks or longer. Ripple is a cryptocurrency. So I could buy Ripple you know, today and I could you know, send it to my you know, cousin who lives in India or you know, my aunt who's over in England, whatever it might be. I can send it to them instantly for virtually free. So it is attempting to break down barriers uh, and create very real value for a lot of people. The issue is that it's not widely used and we, we can get into like the guts of you know, the, the market structure and why it's so difficult. But you know, the, the issue right now is that they just don't have a lot of use. And so people are buying these coins, expecting them to one day be extremely valuable. What do you think is going to happen in the next five years? Do you think you're going to start being able to buy stuff? I absolutely think cryptocurrencies have a place in the market. Um, I do not think they will replace the U.S. dollar, as you hear some people talking about. Uh, but I do think there's a very real place for it. Uh, more specifically, people who are unbanked, who, who can't open a bank account for you know, any number of plethora of reasons. Uh, I think that it's much easier to actually like transfer value through cryptocurrency than it is through you know, ACHs, through banks. Um, cryptocurrency has a very real issue around... Uh, entry, barriers to entry. So it's very hard to actually, it's not hard. Um, It can be complicated to open a crypto wallet and start trading. Um, It can be expensive to put money into the ecosystem to start buying cryptocurrency. However, once companies, I'll just say once restaurants, once clothing stores, once gas stations start accepting you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever you know, coin you want to put in there, once they start accepting that, that's when it starts becoming, in my opinion, a real viable currency instead of speculation that one day it'll be valuable. And you know what I like also, if you compare it to the dollar, the dollar has serial numbers on it, just like, you know, Bitcoin has serial numbers on it. The dollar has nothing backing it. It used to have gold until Nixon took care of that in 1972. Wipe that out. So really, what is this piece of paper I'm holding in my hand compared to crypto? It's almost like the same thing, except you cut out the middleman, right? You, you cut out the treasury, right? The Federal Reserve, which is not federal anything. It's 12 private banks. As you know, you're working for one. But um, and so that's why I love telling people that, you know, the, really the big difference between the dollars, like, okay, so we have America behind it. I, I get that part. But really, there's no backing to that one piece of dollar, right? That's a very complicated question. Um, <laughs> and the answer is that there is no literal piece of gold anymore that backs each dollar. Um, it is a promise to 
You know what? Let's just let's just get past this one. <laughs> this is a very difficult question. Um, uh, the U.S. dollar um, has a long history, and the it, I believe it is one of the reserve currencies. Of, it is one of the most popular currencies in the world because of the stability and the existence of the U.S. economy. The, 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 no one thinks the U.S. is going out of business. We're not going to go bankrupt and lose everything. Um, cryptocurrency is very new. The technology is not always that well understood. And there are ways of attacking it. There are stories uh, from the early days of crypto where, you know, my, my, my favorite is that um, I, I believe on the Ethereum blockchain, a uh, crypto-based venture capital fund opened. And so investors bought coins from this venture capital fund, uh, and then they could vote on investments based on how many coins they owned. Well, a, a, a bad actor found a bug in the code of the fund drained $20 million out of it and then said, no, no, this is my money now. I played by your rules. You set up the wrong rules. And so he drained $20 million. It was this huge scandal. Like people lost total, well, people lost a lot of faith in sort of the structure that they were using. Um, but this, that can happen. And so as this market matures, people will become more comfortable with, I'm not just going to get swindled out of this. Like this will exist. And, and I feel comfortable that I'm, that, that um, my money is, or my value is safe. All right. I love when people say that, you know, I, this is all done through drugs and, and this is all uh, great for, well, well, we pay for the dollar now. We had like, what, $400 billion that we transferred by an airplane to Iran once. I mean, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. Right now, it's an investment. Understand this, folks. It's a risky investment. And at the Family Business Fund, like other alternative investments, we are a high-yield, fixed-rate fund monitored by the Security and Exchange Commission, and we, no matter what happens to the stock market, we have to pay back the the, the 20% that um, that our private placement memorandum talks about. And as David said, nothing is a guarantee. Uh, I am not a financial advisor, so I want to make that disclaimer. I'm just a guy who is standing in the stock market, the New York Stock Exchange, looking up at the board, watching people tweet, and watching it just go like this. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And so that's what we do here, is we try to teach you different things about meme stocks, about um, about cryptocurrencies and blockchains uh, at the Family Business Fund. We have great guys like like David Sadon, and we just want to thank you for allowing us to be with you for 10 minutes just to learn about there's other things out there besides your financial advisor that you could invest in that are safe and pay a good rate of return. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.